Welcome to HealthCast. This is your host, Adam Patterson. The COVID-19 epidemic has put special demands on federal agencies responsible for public health and medical care, demanding a level of rapid adjustment even above the abrupt shift to remote work. This has included a reallocation of modernization projects and technical development towards assisting the national pandemic response a unique priority for the Department of Veterans Affairs in light of the agency's fourth mission, or its paramount responsibility to support the U.S. medical system during times of national crisis. Some of the VA's most innovative departments have been especially active in supporting the national COVID-19 response, using their in-house talent and modernization initiatives to develop a means of supporting public health during the most devastating pandemic the world has seen in over a century. Foremost among these has been the Veterans Health Administration's Innovation Ecosystem, a department within the VA focused on discovering and implementing healthcare innovations. The Innovation Ecosystem has been responsible for pioneering some of the VA's most promising medical advances, including its thriving medical 3D printing initiative. Having been founded and spread across VA care centers before the pandemic, The agency's 3D printing network has been mobilized to manufacture supplies and personal protective equipment for physicians and caregivers attending to COVID-19 patients. Recently, the innovation ecosystem has begun organizing maker challenges to bring together teams of designers and engineers to develop manufacturing processes that can be scaled and deployed quickly to meet the needs of caregivers on the ground. The maker challenges have also involved close collaboration between the VA and academia as well as private industry representing a unity of knowledge coming together during a time of incredible need. We are joined today by Danielle Krakora, the entrepreneur in residence at the VHA Innovation Ecosystem. It is a particular honor to have Danielle on the program in light of both the exciting work the Innovation Ecosystem has been producing, as well as its vital role in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic through its maker challenges. Danielle, welcome to HealthCast. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. I can't wait to share all about the incredible work we're doing. Absolutely. And it's great to have you on the program, too. And to bring us to a general overview question about both the moment in time we're facing epidemiologically, as well as the critical role of the innovation ecosystem, how have the demands of the COVID-19 epidemic changed the focus of projects developed by the VHA IE? Yeah, it definitely has changed the way we do business fundamentally in this acute type of crisis, but also probably the types of initiatives we take on down the road. So I think that healthcare and life in general will forever be changed by the COVID-19 pandemic. But specifically, the VHA Innovation Ecosystem has a number of projects that they focus on, and they really try to help bring cutting-edge technology, business process modernization, and everything in between into the hands of the people that need it the most, whether that's the employees or the veterans that are using our services at VA. And all of our initiatives that we work on over the course of a year really kind of grinded to a halt when COVID-19 hit and all hands had to be on deck to meet the, the different and challenging urgent needs experienced by the pandemic. For me, particularly, my project with the Innovation Ecosystem was this amazing veteran-focused maker challenge program that we called CAMVET. Challenge America Makers for Veterans. And we focused on building creative solutions for the needs of disabled veterans, but we had to quickly shift that model and find out how we could 
meet the needs of frontline employees, essential workers during COVID-19. So I'll kind of share a little bit more as we get through this podcast about how that shift happened. But really, all work grinded to a halt and we became experts at things we never thought we would. Absolutely. And speaking of kind of that transitory process of how existing innovation ecosystem programs and projects have been applied to the new crisis, brings me to the question of how have existing innovation ecosystem programs been applied to meet the challenges of the epidemic, especially as things have gone on? Broadly, I think uh, telehealth programs and innovation projects that focus on leveraging technology and remote care has been something that we've really accelerated since COVID-19 hit. We've shifted the way we, obviously all healthcare has shifted the way that we do routine and follow-up care. Before it was face-to-face largely, and we do leverage, or we did, I guess, leverage telehealth more so than civilian healthcare institutions, but we really had to shift a lot more care to virtual. So how do we make that easy for the providers to administer in a way that technology isn't a barrier, they can feel comfortable in the way that the veteran is answering questions or the ability for them to see the problem and diagnose it properly. But also, how do we educate our aging population on the use of technology? Now, these are folks that maybe have a smartphone but have never used a tablet or a computer or things like that. And now we're putting those into their hands and asking them to trust the doctor in front of them on a screen versus that face-to-face human connection. So how do we change and adapt to that time? And I think that our staff have really rose to the occasion and we've been able to leverage a lot of the existing programs that we had in place before COVID-19, enhance them and throw more resources at them to expand quickly to meet that need. So we really were in a good position. And I think that's in no small part to the work that the innovation ecosystem has done overall for VHA, and that's Veterans Health Administration. For me specifically, as I kind of touched on in the last question, my program was really kind of specific on finding creative, innovative solutions that meet the needs of disabled veterans. What we wanted to do was restore some sort of hope, some sort of sense of purpose or connection to an activity or program that a veteran used to do prior to being injured or having some sort of illness affect their ability to do something they once loved. So we took those challenges. We paired that disabled veteran with a team of really creative and passionate folks from a broad section of private sector, businesses, nonprofits, academia, and we put them together and we asked them within 72 hours to come up with a creative solution to address that veteran's need. And the things that they would physically create using 3D printing and and other types of rapid manufacturing techniques were incredible blow your mind. So these solutions were saving lives, essentially. I'll give you one really quick example of what we did, and then you'll get a better understanding of how we use that model to pivot. We had a veteran who, his name's Chris, he unfortunately sustained a lot of injury while he was in Afghanistan during a roadside bomb. And he ambulates with a cane mostly, but sometimes his pain is so severe, he has to use a walker or a wheelchair. And he was expecting his first daughter And what he really wanted to be able to do was get on the floor, play with his baby, and then independently get up off of the floor. If he needed to, you know, pick her back up and take her somewhere or go get something for her or or something like that. 
But in his current state, he had to either pull himself up on some sort of piece of furniture, scoot over to there and get up that way, or have his wife help him get up. And he wanted to be able to do it himself. Really simple, right? Lots of people want to be able to get up off the floor. So what his team did, again, in a 72-hour period of time was modify a cane and make it so it had a device with a little button that he pressed and it kind of made the cane go out into a tripod type of a position and it had a platform on it that enabled him to be able to get on one knee and push. It was stable enough for him to push himself up using the cane. It was stable, safe, easy. It could fold back into a regular cane. And to this day, which this was, this happened in the spring of 2019, to this day, I just saw him, he's still using that cane. And that design has continued to be ideated and refined so it can come to market. So we had to find a way to take that program and shift it to meet the needs of COVID-19. So what we did is we took the same concept and put the user at the center of the groups. Instead of face-to-face, we've done it virtual and we condensed the time frame. So we call it the COVID-19 Maker Challenge, and we look for frontline employees that have some sort of need. So their job has shifted in some way due to COVID-19. Maybe it's they need to stay better protected or the equipment that they have is not sufficient. It needs to be modified in some way. Maybe it's a digital solution. It really spans the gamut of different types of things, but we take that essential worker, we pair them with subject matter experts in a virtual style event, and it's incredible within that 72-hour period, the stuff that comes out of it. Again, using rapid manufacturing techniques. So It's one of many programs that we took the fundamental base of what that program was and we modified it to meet the COVID-19 need. Absolutely. And it makes a lot of sense that the innovation ecosystem would really be at the forefront of responding to the epidemic. And I'd like to focus on the Maker Challenge a bit more, especially, I'm kind of curious, how did the Maker Challenge start? Yeah, so I kind of shared a little bit about the original intent, which was to impact the needs of disabled veterans. But how did that even happen? So let me take you back a little further. I'm a veteran. I was in the Army for 10 years. I started off as a combat medic and served a tour of duty in Iraq. And then after I went to college, I was fortunate to take my commission as a medical service corps officer. So I had a really interesting, exciting, and fun military career. And then I came over to the VA. So while I was working at the VA, I came across this great nonprofit. It's a national veteran nonprofit called Challenge America. They're out of Basalt, Colorado, and they do wonderful programs for veterans. One of the programs that they did that they brought to Cleveland, actually, which is how our paths originally crossed, was music therapy for veterans suffering from PTSD and military sexual trauma, which was a really effective event. So that's kind of how our relationship began. And they had this awesome opportunity to sponsor a team of disabled veterans from the U.S. and bring them to Israel to participate in a global Veterans Makeathon event. This was in 2018. So Challenge America asked if I wanted to participate on Team America. So I went and it was a similar style event to what I described with the Veteran CAMVETS event that we hosted here in Cleveland. We brought some disabled veterans there. It was global. So there were several countries represented and some really talented professionals from Israel formed the teams and the stuff that came out of it was incredible, really life-changing for everyone involved. 
So when uh, my partners in crime over at Challenge America and I were flying home on the plane, we looked at each other and we said, we have to do this. We need to bring this to the United States and we need to help our veterans here in the U.S. This is too good of an event not to share. So we partnered with the Innovation Ecosystem and we formally established our relationship and we hosted the first Make-A-Thon event in the U.S. in Cleveland, Ohio, and that was in the spring of 2019. And we haven't really looked back since. It's been a wild ride. Absolutely. And in terms of how the maker challenges are organized and what they look like in their execution, I'm kind of curious sort of how that's set up. What do they really look like when you get into the process of the maker challenge? So I'm going to speak specifically about our COVID-19 maker challenges because with the veteran ones, it's a slightly different approach. But we committed to doing a series of five events, one event each month. They're all virtual, and each event is focused on a different subset of the essential workforce. So our first event was focused on the needs of first responders, so firefighters, police officers, and EMS workers. The second event was focused on the needs of what we call in the VA, Environmental Management Service, but really that's housekeeping and custodial staff. The third that we just wrapped up was focused on the needs of nursing home workers and assisted living facility workers. Our next, which is at the end of August here in a couple short weeks, is going to be focusing on the needs of in-home care providers. So this could be your nurses, your nurses aides, social workers, physical therapists, occupational therapists, etc. And then our last event is kind of unique. It's going to focus on the needs of disaster relief response workers. So as we come into forest fire season, hurricanes, tornadoes, etc., there are a lot of emergency workers that report to those disaster sites to help. And how do we keep them safe and make sure that they have adequate support as they're responding to these disasters and we don't have these ancillary COVID-19 breakouts? So that'll be a really interesting event as well. So it starts with a need and then we have to find the challenges. And believe it or not, that's the hardest part is finding the frontline workers that will share their day-to-day experiences with us so we can kind of tease out what things could be better or what their needs are. I think just by nature of these essential workers, they're heroic. They put their head down and they do what needs to be done. They show up to work every day and they take care of their patients. They're amazing and incredible. And they don't often have time to stop and think about what's missing or what could be better. And that's really where we seek to fit in. We want to build solutions that meet maybe their unknown or unaware of needs. So we find these workers and we talk to them and we come up with some challenges. So once we have the challenges, we have these funky team names that we call them. One I think is really funny from our last challenge, we called it Team Quick Draw Sanitizer McGraw. So uh, we try to make them fun and engaging. And then we put a call out for makers or innovators or experts that want to come and help. And we don't turn anyone away. We have all kinds of people from all kinds of careers and walks of life. So we might have medical providers, biomedical engineers, technologists, seamstresses, auto mechanics, you name it. We've got them. People out there want to help. And this is a cause everyone can get behind. So we look at those challenges and we look at the diverse skill set of the people that have applied to participate and we build teams. We form teams ahead of time and then we have a kickoff. And during the kickoff, we take the teams through a team building exercise and a design thinking workshop. And then we kind of turn them loose 
And we put them in touch during that time, during the kickoff with their frontline subject matter experts. So that person really drives the discussion and tells them what their day-to-day is and what their problem is. And then they work together with that frontline user for a week. So they'll work virtually, they'll come up with some prototype designs, they might share it back and forth with their user, have them try it out. And then the bulk of the making really happens that following weekend. So it's 72 hours from a Friday to a Sunday, and they build something physical, a prototype solution. And then they present that solution during a closing ceremony where we give awards. So that's kind of the event, but then the magic really happens after the event. And we take some of those most promising projects and practices, and we try to find opportunities to test them and pilot them in VA medical center facilities across the country. And we get more feedback and we work with those teams and we provide them with resources to really hone in on the best prototype for their design. Then we find a way to manufacture it or commercialize it and bring it to market. So It's really a long process that could never be achieved without all of our partners, which I think you're going to ask me about in just a little bit. Most likely I will. (laughs) Yeah, the Vector Challenge sounds really very much like a collaborative and knowledge sharing process at its heart, which makes me wonder, how has the Maker Challenge worked with academic institutions and other federal agencies to bolster the national COVID response? Yeah, absolutely. We could not do this alone. The strength of the program and the success it's realized so far is solely due to the incredible partners that we have. I think we are all in this together, especially when it comes to COVID-19 response. A couple of key partnerships, although there are many that I'll call out, is with the National Institute for Health and NIH and FDA. I think those two specific federal partners have done a lot to help with this particular event. Once the teams are done with the Maker Challenge, they are able to package their projects because it's all open source. Nobody retains any intellectual property or anything at the end of this. They put those designs, once they've been tried and tested, on the NIH design repository. And this is a open source platform where folks usually put their 3D printed PPE designs up on there. And once they've been submitted, there's a whole process for evaluating them, which includes the FDA for, you know, validating how well the design works and if it's safe and if anything needs to be changed. So there's a really great evaluation arm that happens behind the scenes with those two partners. So They were gracious enough to partner with our program and create a separate area on their site for our challenges to be submitted because not all of them are PPE related. They're really diverse. So the ones that are appropriate are posted on that site and they get to work with those stakeholders to continue to evaluate the efficacy of their designs. From an academic perspective, we have a lot of participants that come to us from academia, whether they're professors, they're students in some capacity, or they're affiliated in some way with an academic institution. They're really generous with their time and they're eager to help. So that's one way. And then the second way is that a lot of the universities have on-site fabrication facilities, which might include 3D printing, laser printing, et cetera. And they've been gracious enough to open their doors, of course, in accordance with social distancing practices to allow some of our teams in that geographical area to come in and really make some of their designs and further test them out. So we just have a lot of great partnerships across the country. 
Definitely. And there's obviously a lot of potential that's already been realized, but it looks like there's already, on top of that, many places the Maker's Challenges could go from here, which brings me to ask, what is next for the Maker's Challenges going forward? That's a great question. So I kind of talked about the last two events that we have on our radar. We committed to a series of five. So the next one, I believe it's August 21st is the kickoff date. And we're going to be focusing on the needs of in-home care providers. So folks that are uh, nurses, nurses aides, physical therapists, et cetera, performing medical care to patients in the home. And the last one, which will be the following month, is going to focus on the needs of disaster relief workers. So once those five events conclude, the winners of each of those five events will be offered the opportunity or have been offered the opportunity to come to the VHA Innovation Ecosystem Experience event. We call it IEX, and it's our flagship annual event where we showcase all of the incredible innovation and collaboration that takes place within VHA. And this program will be highlighted there, and the five winners from each program will be able to talk about their design. So we're really excited about that. And there are a number of teams and projects that are already being used in the field, so within VA or outside of VA in some capacities. So many of these things may come across your path at some point, and they were originated and they were born out of the COVID-19 Maker Challenge series. So we're really proud and excited about that and we hope to continue it on. Absolutely. It sounds incredibly promising. Anyway, Danielle, thank you for coming on the program. This was fascinating. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited to share this amazing program. And if anyone wants to learn more, I encourage you to go to our website at www.covid19makerchallenge.com. Absolutely. And it was wonderful to have you on, and I hope our listeners follow through on that. Likewise. Thank you so much. Take care. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris, Adam Patterson, and Faith Bryan. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.